0: Have power. Now now words aren't as power as the spirit, powerful as the spirit of the living God. Uh, They don't carry the same weight that he does, but words spoken in the right moment seem to be able to move things forward. They create momentum and movements. Uh, Think about the words that get penned down. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Echo throughout the ages. Uh, Maybe it's the cry of William Wallace and his freedom cry heard round the world clearly if you saw the movie it echoed throughout creation or maybe the words of John Knox in the same country crying out give me Scotland or death the words of Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream still echoing back and have created a movement and captured the imagination of millions since the day they were spoken or in a galaxy far far away has shaped almost an equal amount of followers uh, who are captured by their imagination uh, and love an intensely shaped mesh of their life around those statements. Uh, the words that we're gonna look at today find themselves in a unique context Uh, The words that we're going to look at today aren't the start of something, they're the continuation of something. Just like each of those words that I spoke were not the start of something, but they were spoken in a moment where it captured the imagination and the affection and rightly oriented people towards a movement that forever shaped history. Uh, for those of you that are new, we've been going through a series called The True Story of the World, where we've taken story by story, uh, starting in creation, and we're making our way all the way through to new creation. Now, we haven't hit every story along the way, but we're hitting some of the highlights to show these are the stories, the small parts, that make up the great story of God. And we got to the point in the story where some incredible things that have happened that have forever shaped all of world history. Uh, Last week in our study, Jesus died. He was murdered by the religious and the Romans uh, because he claimed to be the son of God. And so he was murdered on a cross. And at the moment when things seemed most out of control, most out of whack with how they should be, God was absolutely doing exactly what he wanted to do in bringing rescue and redemption and healing and hope. It didn't seem like it when the sky went dark. It didn't seem like it when the lightning struck. It didn't seem like when the blood was dripping down the side of Jesus. It didn't seem like it when his hands were out. But in that cry, it is finished, something forever changed. And in his death, he was victorious. Our king reigns from a cross. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again, bringing a new creation with him, dragging it out of the future and planting it right in the middle of history. And that's what we looked at last week. So if you want to go back and catch the audio, that's what took place. And so in our story then, he gathers together with his disciples. He's back, and we're having to fast forward a little bit. We're in Matthew 28, like I said. And I want to read this text because these words, uh, stick with me, and I'm glad we're here together for this. These words have launched out movements of missionaries for the last millennia. And that's not an exaggeration. Now, if you study your Bible and you look at it chronologically and missionally, you're like, this is not the only time the Bible talks about mission. And if that's where you're at, I love you. This is not, Matthew did not create mission, but this moment catalyzes something powerful. And so we're going to look at it together. Uh, Would you guys read with me? I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to chop it up pastor style. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what? Doubted. That means everybody's welcome there. Some of us can find a lot of hope in that word right there. I don't, I don't fully, I'm not sure. I'm worshipping, but I'm also doubting. You ever been there? You're welcome in this crew. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are uh, studying words that you spoke, and we don't study them as if you're not here. And so, would you give us a presence and awareness that your spirit is here with us, that the end of the age has not yet come, which means that you yourself are still here with us. We don't lob words up bouncing off the roof, but you are here, and we speak, and we sing, and we pray with you. So, Jesus, would you capture our imaginations once again? Would you warm our hearts for those that are doubting? Blow on those embers. For those that are wrestling, give the courage. And for those who find themselves in a trusting place, would you give them more solidarity in this moment? We love you and we're so glad you meet with us. Amen, amen. We're gonna start with those first few words. Jesus comes to his disciples, some of them doubting, and I love it, it's the 11, it's the squad, right? That's his team, those are his boys. And even in that 11, Some of them are doubting what in the world is happening. They're not doubting that he's there. Like if you think about it, what are they doubting? They're not doubting that Jesus is there. They've already had the meal. They've already seen him. They've already ate with him. They've already done all these things that we learn about in the other gospels. But what they're doubting, I wonder what it could be. My mind goes to maybe they're doubting what happens next. Maybe they're doubting, all right, this is not the way we saw it playing out. Maybe they're doubting things just got so shook up. Am I sure I want to keep going with this? I don't know. But somewhere along the way, they're doubting, and Jesus shows up with a great proclamation before he gives the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and that is no small statement. In fact, everything else that he says only makes sense because that statement is true. And in our culture, we come to Jesus a lot of different ways, and it's not always in this all-authority king jesus way uh, sometimes uh, we've got a few different ways that we approach him and i'm going to give us some of them um, and then we'll give you a chance to talk them up and see which ones you maybe see around that's a good image isn't it uh, some of us really really like uh, teacher jesus some of us uh, can get down with teacher jesus our culture even at large right now there's a lot of his teachings that make a lot of sense to a lot of people And so when you think about it, I'm okay. I might not want all authority, Jesus. I might not want King Jesus, but Teacher Jesus seems like a pretty rad dude. Like, he was all about how do we have equality? How do we have people love each other? How do we break down walls of hostility, call out power where it's broken, and lift up those who have a right place standing based on who they are as humans, not just their position in society? He was also pretty wise. He spoke... Parables. He spoke statements that echo out through the ages. As a teacher, he is a good one. But sometimes that's all we want to lock in on. Some of us like, I mean some people, like Life Coach Jesus. Uh, This is the Jesus that will come along and he really wants you to succeed. Like he really, really, really wants to see you do your best in your life. But he will never be so imposing as to tell you what you actually should do. He will only tell you what you could do. Uh, This is the Jesus that only speaks in suggestions, never in statements. This is the Jesus who would would never give a command and only ever speaks in invitations. This is a very uh, easy, culturally relevant Jesus who wants to see us live our best life right now and will do whatever he can to gently open doors for us but never demand anything from us. Next Jesus, social club Jesus. Uh, This is the Jesus for those that don't have many friends. And catch this, Jesus brought together the weirdest group of people ever and he gave them a place at a table and they formed genuine community, which is outstanding. There is nowhere else that you would look in the ancient world and see prostitutes and religious, recovering religious addicts at the same table. Like you would never see tax collectors hanging out with a teacher of the law. You would never see the miracle working man hanging out at a well with a woman in the middle of the day. And yet somehow Jesus came along and created a community where everyone felt welcome if they could say They just needed community, they needed a place, they needed to belong, and he created space for that. But this Jesus is sure to be set that you only wanna go with your own comfortable circles of friends, like it's a social club, right? He wants to make sure this Jesus would never really, really call you and command you to love those who oppress you. Social club Jesus. And then my own personal favorite, the bobblehead Jesus. A bobblehead Jesus who fits on the shelf with the rest of the superheroes, carefully in the background, on the list of people that you might like to be like someday, on the list with all your other cultural saviors, including Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. That's where you thought I was going to go with that, right? Uh, With the other culturally relevant saviors of our day not the one who stands above the one who wants to nod his head whenever you want to do something the one who would never again call and command and send the one who would only go what is it that you want to do and whenever you want to see me come and look at me on my shelf and whenever you don't casually put me aside I know I'm making caricatures of these things but I wonder I wonder if there's another version of Jesus that maybe sometimes even you're tempted to trust in. Or maybe at times in your life where you'd be like, man, I could really get down with this kind of Jesus because King Jesus kind of gets on my nerves. Can you guys be honest about, we we can be honest about that, right? Okay, cool. I like you guys nodding, I'm gonna look at you. All right, so, um, but no, I want you to turn back to those same groups that you were just in, that you said, hey, here's where I know God's faithful, here's where I've seen it, here's where I've seen whispers or his voice screaming out beauty. I wonder if there, there's one of these Jesus that you're like, man, I really wish Jesus was like that sometimes. Um, he's not. But our, our hearts often want to minimize Jesus, and that all authority statement isn't always what encompasses the entirety of our lives. And so we go to a lesser Jesus sometimes, and it's good to identify where that could be. So uh, turn back to the small groups. I'm going to give you like two, three minutes. Um, go ahead and maybe identify one of those, or if you're one of those types that needs to come up with your own answer, you're the dot, 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 and you can come up with that, and we'll still love you. So go ahead, turn towards each other, uh, come up with that answer, and then I'll pull you back in just a moment. Some of you might wrestle with it, be like, yo, Kevin, you're telling me Jesus rules, he has all authority right now. I, on the way here, heard so many sirens. What kind of rule is that? This morning, I walked out my door, and I heard a loud pop, and I was like, it's not quite a gunshot, and it's 630, that's even early for West Mesa. But what was that? Walk down the ender, a till, pillowing stream of smoke coming out over there. A car blazing on fire had run into a cement barrier that went over a canal. Firemen whipping down the street, putting the fire out. The police tape was still up when I left my house at 2 p.m., which is never a good sign. And you're like, man, Jesus is Lord. Uh, are we sure? Like that all authority thing? Are we sure? I can't release all the tension of that for you. I can tell you, consistent with what we have been telling you, that the beauty of the gospel is that the kingdom has broken in, even though there is a bit of the old still left there. Uh, That the already has come, that new creation has come, that the spirit has come, and that is taking place right now in the midst of a world that is not yet fully made whole. And then I'm going to turn to N.T. Wright because he's a really, really smart dude too. And so this whole next quote is all him. He says, people get very puzzled by the claim that Jesus is already ruling the world until they see what is in fact being said. The claim is not that the world is already completely as Jesus intends it to be. That's not what it says. The claim is that he is working to take it from where it was, under the rule of not only death, but of corruption, greed, and every kind of wickedness, and to bring it by slow means and quick, under the rule of his life-giving love. And how is he doing that? Here's the shock. Through us, his followers. The project only goes forward insofar as Jesus' agents, the people he has commissioned, are taking it forward. The daily experience that people have of the in-breaking kingdom will depend whether or not we take the next part of these verses seriously. That doesn't mean Jesus reigns less, but it means your neighbors may see it less. It doesn't mean that it's any less true, but whether or not they see it tomorrow depends if you follow through. So Jesus' words continue on therefore go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you and surely i am with you to the very end of the age Uh, jesus here is giving his disciples new identities and some actions and this shouldn't surprise us because god has been doing this all throughout the story as we've learned it i want you to hang with me we're going to go through all the acts of the story pretty quickly But God has, in every single act of the story, affirmed identity and given action. And the two are not in competition. Because we've been doing this for a little while, uh, which comes first, identity or action in God's economy? Identity. We never earn the identity, but the identity always leads to an action. That difference will make all the difference in whether or not you live your life frustrated or free. Genesis 1, they're given an identity as children. Adam and Eve are called to be God's children, human beings, image bearers who reflect his, his glory to the world, reflect his image, and they're given a responsibility to cultivate the garden and all of its hidden potentials. There's an image bearing that is stamped on them, and there is a work that they are sent to do in community. We're on a time crunch, so we're gonna move fast. In Genesis 3, in the rebellion, the X in the story. Adam and Eve do not reflect God. They choose not to do that. And instead of doing what God had sent them to do, they choose to serve themselves. And the world is placed under a curse because of it. They reject the identity that was given to them and do whatever they want to do. But God, who's rich in mercy, makes a promise to a man named Abram the story doesn't end when they screw up he makes a promise that through a people all the world will be blessed he tells those people israel you are my children you are my beloved people all throughout the old testament god calls israel by name he says my son my child you are my people you're a royal priesthood you're a chosen nation all this language which is beautiful And then he calls and commissions them out. He sends them out as a community to witness to a watching world just how good he is. He doesn't tell them to go to foreign nations and set up shop there. He says, if you live this way in full view of the other nations, they'll look in and be like, yo, what kind of God is that? How did you come up with such good laws? How do you care for your ground so well? How do the poor have a place at the table? How do your slaves get set free Every 70 years. This is mind-blowing. But it seems like such a better way to live. Again, they were called in and sent out as a community to be a blessing to the world. Jesus himself in redemption. Israel fails at that calling. The story gets whittled down to one faithful Israelite. On to the scene steps the son of the living God, Jesus himself. And so he goes into the waters of baptism remember this story and as god as his brother or his cousin uh john the baptizer puts him under the water brings him back up what happened sky's split right skies split and the voice of the father coming down saying this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased listen to what he tells you and then immediately after that jesus is sent into the desert There's a work to do, and he stays faithful. And for the next three years, he stays faithful as the son of the father to the work he was given to do, to declare and demonstrate good news, the kingdom of God is here. And during that time, he called together some followers, the disciples, the 11 that were gathered still there. They'd lost one, but the 11 that were still there, they were the ones that Jesus had brought along and showed them the best possible way to live a kingdom life right now. Not just someday, but right now today. And he was equipping them all this time to say, this is how we deal with things. This is how we live life in the kingdom. This is how we pray. Oh, there's a naked demon, dude. Let me show you what you do in that scenario. Oh, we're out of food. Here's where we pray. And the food gets multiplied. Oh, somebody can't walk. Watch this. Here's how we heal. Here's what we do when jealousy bubbles up. Here's what we do in pride bubbles up here we do when people are angry and want to abuse power and how we confront that but care for the lost the lonely the left out he teaches them all that as they walk through life affirming their identities and that's what's beautiful that's taking place in this story why did i share all that because jesus is doing the same thing again here He's giving them an identity that they're supposed to pass on to every person that says, yes, I want to give my allegiance to King Jesus. Yes, that's, that's who I want to bow my knee to. Yes, that's the story I believe and what I want to enter in. That every person who does that, you're supposed to baptize them in the name of, do you remember this, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God. You're supposed to rename them in this ceremony. As they become a part of this story an identity affirmed but there's that beautiful language in there where he says as you're going or go is what most of your translations say go and make more disciples this is meant to be a continual movement of mission that pulses with every generation As people increasingly submit their lives to Jesus, they're called to live like it. Not just to raise hands, say a prayer, and go on about their way. Now, do we struggle with this sometimes, church? Yes, from the front on back. But is the tenor of our life that we're pressing in and pressing on towards this? I sure hope so. Because, again, the kingdom of God will be experienced by our neighbors as we're faithful to the call Jesus put in our life. That's not a pressure-filled statement. I think it's what Jesus is giving, though, is a statement of reality. If you're angry at your neighbor, they're going to see anger. (laughs) And if you're loving towards your neighbor, they're going to see love. If you act like Jesus when you show up at the party, they're going to see Jesus. If you act a fool, they're going to see a... Nailed it. But there's so much beauty. Oh, by the way, there's a final act in the story. The church, we do that now. One day we will be God's people and he will be our God and our job will be to continue worshiping him only without that threat of not carrying it out, right? Without that, that fear of I'm gonna fail, without any of that uh, embarrassment or shame that we still carry with us, even though Jesus removed it, we'll just get to be free and continue to follow Jesus on into new creation. There's a beauty to that, fam. But we're here now. something to notice is even just the quantity of the text I, ho- uh, I want to show you this because uh, I think it says something do you see the two bookends on there he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me that's Jesus and so this is what's true about Jesus and it anchors you here's some work to do in the meantime and that's your middle and then he gets to the end and said and by the way or in low or remember I am with you to the very end of the age. You get a Jesus authority and presence sandwich with which you live out this great commission. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So what is the work of being a disciple, of making a disciple? I'm gonna give you two definitions. Uh, The first one is a disciple, or discipleship is the process of following the spirit and learning to love like Jesus did and faithfully take up our role in God's story. Uh, that's my definition right now. You can steal it if you want it. I would more recommend you come up with your own um, and figure out what does it look like? What are the, what are the elements that, that God's pressing in on me right now? The word "disciple" basically means apprentice. So if you've ever worked a job where it was in the trades, uh, you didn't just get licensed to go ahead and fix somebody's pipes. If you're an electrician, they don't just go, oh, you seem to know what you're doing. Here's a pair of pliers and some wires. Go deal with David's house. It'll be really good. You won't hear any hissing, popping, no firing. Just do it, right? But what do you do? You follow behind a master in that trade, and you learn the ins and outs, both in the classroom and then also in the context of everyday life. As you watch them, learn from them, screw up, they help you. That's what apprenticeship is in the real world. Uh, That's also what it is in the world of the church that we are to make apprentices who follow us as we follow Jesus. And each part of that matters, it's, it's we're learning, this isn't something that any of us have on lock, of learning to follow the spirit, the spirit of the living God is the one who directs us. And learning to love like Jesus did, why do I have that? Because I think a lot of us wanna say like learning to obey what Jesus said. And if we love like Jesus did, we will obey what Jesus said. But there's a different emphasis. Do I love God? Do I love my neighbor? Do I love my enemy? Do I love this community? Those are the things Jesus commanded. What if that was our metric for whether or not we were being faithful? Am I learning to love like Jesus did and faithfully take up our role in God's story? The disciples had a unique role. Some would say, these words weren't spoken to the church today, Kevin. These words were spoken some 2,000 years ago. Why are you saying it's for us? Because they were called to take their role in God's story And the invitation and the call is for us to do the same. Simpler definition looks like this. Following Jesus and leading others to do the same. Following Jesus and leading others to do the same. Whole people, wholly following a holy God. Meaning your head, your hands, your heart, your mind being captured with a better story, your heart being shaped with new loves, your hands having new activities. That's what it looks like as we follow Jesus in his kingdom. The work that he gave us to do, it breaks down in that text. And if you were reading along in that, you saw it. He said, go and make disciples. Okay, I want to go make apprentices of Jesus. How am I going to do that? You baptize them into this new story. Uh, You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those names make no difference if you don't have the rest of your Bible to look at. If you don't know the rest of the story, those names mean very little to you. But if you have the rest of the story, there is beauty and power in that. You are changed from who you used to be to who you now are. And there is a freedom in that that is beyond compare. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. There is communication that must take place. And very often this is the process of not just making disciples, but maturing them. Seeing them grow up. The goal is not to have an orphanage of a bunch of little small people who raise their hand one day and then keep coming back because you feed them the meal. The goal is to raise up and send out just like the goal is with any kids. So kids, the goal is not that you are living with your parents when you're 45. Parents, I know some of you have attachment to your kids, and so I gave it a long, long ramp. 45, you should be out of the basement. But the goal is that they're raised up, and they're able to then have families of their own that you can actually, I'm told, enjoy as well. And you give them back, and they're doing that work, and it goes on, right? So making, maturing, and then multiplying is the dream. It's for a family, but it's also for discipleship. That's spiritually... We see people raised up and sent out, growing up and going out. Baptize. And what I I wanna encourage us with that is if as a church, as a family, if we're gonna fail, let it it be that we're failing at this effort to live out this command, to go and make disciples. I don't think we can, if that's our aim. But if we're gonna say like, hey, something, that's what we wanna do. We want... Our mark in our city for the short time that we're here to be that we loved people well because we learned it from Jesus. And that we taught others how to follow Him as the Spirit gave faith to their hearts. We brought them in, welcomed them to the table. That we were able to see people baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they lived a new story instead of the old story they had before Jesus. That's what we want to see take place. And so we're asked the question, well, how did the first century church do with that, though? That was, that was the command. That was the commission. That was what they were told. How did they do it? that? Let me read you a chunk of text that describes how they did it. that. And then at the end of that, imagine what would happen if in your city they said the same sort of things. Whether that's Mesa, or where you live in Detroit, or San Antonio, or Apache Junction, or wherever you're at. This was written of early Christians. For Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of the human race by country or language or customs. They do not live in cities of their own. They do not use a particular form of speech. They do not follow an eccentric manner of life. This doctrine of theirs has not been discovered by the ingenuity or deep thought of inquisitive men, nor do they put forward a merely human teaching as some people do. Yet, although they live in Greek and barbarian cities alike, as each man's lot has been cast, and follow the customs of the country in clothing and food and other matters of daily living, at the same time, they give proof of the remarkable and admittedly extraordinary constitution of their own commonwealth. So they look the same as everybody else. They talk the same as everybody else. They eat the same as everybody else. They're a part of this city. Wherever they ended up landing, whether they were wealthy or poor, they're still there. It's true that they're in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They share their board with each other, but not their marriage bed. Uh, They share their house, but not their bedroom, which is a distinction in the Roman world and yours. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They They obey the established laws, but in their own lives they go far beyond what the laws require. They love all men, and by all men are persecuted. They are unknown, and still they are condemned. They are put to death yet they are brought to life. They are poor, and yet they are made rich. They are completely destitute, yet they enjoy complete abundance. They're treated by the Jews as foreigners and the enemies and are hunted down by the Greeks. And all the time, those who hate them still find it impossible to justify their enmity. Nobody likes these people, but they live better than everybody else. The Jews want to hunt them down. The Greeks want to hunt them down. But nobody can really point to the reason why. Because the way they live is so remarkable. That people looking in would say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it's real. That's how they did in following out that great commission. How will we do in the moments we're given? I pray we're a church who lives as those who are called to Jesus, called by jesus and then sent with jesus when that's on the forefront of our brain it shapes the way we live on thursday uh, on friday we went through the story of god in soma school so a lot of you guys have done that that's where we take the entire narrative of scripture and in one day do the full sweep i think coral you daniel and nick just led one a few weeks ago um, and so, different people miss you. Have gone through this at different times. There's something powerful about when you do that, right? It starts to shape your imagination. I liken it to when I used to play a lot of video games. Uh, and and if you ever play any violent video games, you shouldn't, because they shape your brain. Um, but when you do, you start to see everything through that lens, don't you? Like when you play GTA, you started seeing everything as a car to jack, right? You can say Amen in here. All right. When you play Call of Duty, you're looking for sniper purchases if you're that kind of guy. When you stay in the story of God, you start to see this as an arena where the true and living God is at work right now, not just someday. So I'm driving home after doing the story of God uh, and I get to the corner by my house, I'm about to turn right, I've got people already at my house uh, because they beat me there because I'm slow Um, and so I'm about to turn in and and I stop at the stoplight and look out my window and there's somebody holding a sign And there's a lot of people in Phoenix who hold signs, aren't there? And I don't stop at every single one. I don't talk to every single one. But I looked down at the sign and looked up at her eyes, and her eyes looked like they were about to break. And so I hit the window. Normally, I don't hit the window. But what was going through my head, and this is the point of the story, was to say, man, I think Jesus would do something here. Because I just learned about them for eight hours. I just looked at a world where when people come to you in need, here's how you respond, even if it's inconvenient. And then I reached for my wallet and realized I had no cash. And then what goes through my head is uh, Peter and John when they're in Acts, I kid you not, and they go, I don't have any silver and gold, but here's what I have. Like, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And, like, the lame dude walks. And I'm like, she's already walking. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not trying that but what I do have is a home that I could probably go to and find cash. So I drive, I'm like, hey, I will be back. I don't have any cash. And in her broken English, she was from Armenia. She said, I will be here when you get back. And so that's like the double down, right? You better come back. Like, girl just said she was going to be there. So I drive home and then I realize that we spent the last of our cash on Caden's last haircut. This is Barber Takes Cash. And so uh, Chuck actually looks he's like, you all right? And I was like, I was just trying to find some cash, see if Kay had something, she brought two bucks. He goes, oh, here's what I have, right? And he pulled out of his pocket the money that he had and put it there and gave it to me. And so then I drove back around to this woman who's still on the side of the road, still waiting. I talked to her a little bit about her story. She hadn't realized that the hotel was going to bump her rate up on the weekend because they do that around here. Like you're cruising along at 60 bucks a night, then all of a sudden you're at 150. And you're like, what in the world? Do I move all my stuff out in my family or do I try going on the side of the road to get some cash? I was able to talk with her. She asked me to pray for her. And I repeated it back in English to make sure I wasn't about to do something really weird. But when I said I was a pastor, she asked if i prayed pray for her. And I had a moment where I prayed for her, prayed for her family, was able to give her the contact information for who we are as a church. Uh, fam, I kid you not, I would have driven straight by that had I not spent that day soaking in the story. Had I not had the eyes of Jesus because I'd been looking at Jesus and who he is and what he does and what it looks like to live as his disciple in the world. If I had not been doing that all day, I guarantee my window would have stayed up. I would have made the turn. I would have had my movie projector set up a little bit earlier. But I would have missed out on the moment that God had for me. Friends, we are called to Jesus. We are rescued by Jesus. And then we are sent with Jesus to make disciples. We do it with authority because he's given it to us. When you go out in the authority of the king, there is nothing that you cannot do. We do it with urgency, not anxiety. Those are very different words. It is a pressing mission, but the power lies in Jesus. And so we don't have to struggle to do it in our own strength. And we cannot miss this. We do it with Jesus. Whatever he has called you into, whatever neighborhood, Whatever socioeconomic group, whatever mission that you're in together, whatever school you're a part of, whatever workforce you're on the team of, whatever family you're in, you never go it alone. You go with Jesus, and then that's the beauty of the church. You go with Jesus' community. And this is, this is the end of the book of Matthew. This is where it drops off. That's his, uh, his mamba out moment. That's the moment where he says, all right, now, you carry on the works that I've given you to do. And with complete freedom, because he's rescued us, given us a new identity, given us his authority, he's going with us to do it, he sends us out. Will we be faithful? Jesus, we are so glad, glad that you go with us, glad that we're not just yelling these words and you're not even here, but you're actually in the room with us. And so I pray, I pray for me, I pray for my friends, I pray for the churches that we represent, the cities that we love. I pray over the profound brokenness that many of us even feel tonight, the hopelessness Would we find hope and healing in you, Jesus, because you do have all authority and you are able to heal. You can set free, you can rescue. And so if friends are wrestling through that, would you give them the faith to lean in? And God, for those of us that might feel a bit weary in the work that you've given us to do, would you remind us that there's not a second of this journey that we walk alone? And we don't just go with ideals, but we actually go with you. Would that make more sense in this moment than it did when we walked in? Jesus, would we never forget that this is what you've called us to. Not comfort, not an easy life, but a life spent with you. We ask this in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen.